Hey, Portsmouth Union, this is Pastor Courtney, and I was actually supposed to be with you all in a couple of weeks, but um, since my flight was canceled from Berlin, Pastor Jules and Pastor Andy thought that I could share with you this way, since we've been having Zoom sermons already. I've noticed that they've had dialogues in their Zoom, and so I asked a very special person to join me, so I thought it might be more interesting. So. I brought my dad along. <laughs> this is Tom McGill, and he's in Lebanon, Oregon. We're nine hours apart right now, um, but this is maybe one of the benefits of this time to be able to see each other on Zoom and work theologically together and see what God is doing in the world. Um, my dad, and I'll let him talk about himself at some point too, but he's a lay member at Lebanon United Methodist Church, active lay member, has preached probably more than I have. We've preached together a couple of times, and I thought this would just be a really fun exercise. Dad, do you want to say anything before I read the scripture today? Well, thanks for inviting me to participate in this, and welcome to everyone. Greetings. Um, yeah, we've always had some fun uh, in our discussions, as well as being able to present things together. So happy to join you today and uh, listen to your leadership. Awesome. Well, our scripture today is 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, and I'll use the NRSV version. And then Pastor Andy and Pastor Jules have used a setup that I think we will use as well. I'll give some background information, and then we have some questions that you all have thought about and discussed. So here are these words from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. So Pastor Andy preached about 1 Corinthians, I think, 10 last week and gave some background, um, but I'll kind of reference that again. In this particular letter, Paul, who we know of as the writer of some of the letters in the New Testament, is answering some correspondence that he has received about the church 
um, the Corinth church, the Corinthians. And he's been hearing about massive divisions in this church. Most of the people in this church are converted to this new way, this new life in Christ, new way of being. And so they're very different people. And they're really trying to focus on how to be the church in the world. And so he's heard reports that they're fighting, which we never hear of fighting in the church, obviously. But this particular new church uh, has been bickering about racial issues, about who gets what, about Gentile versus Jew, and they're very different people. And so Paul is writing to this church and referencing some of those letters that he's received and, and what he's seen and what he's heard. And so we enter into this space after he's been outlining all of these gifts of the body too. First Corinthians 12 is all about how we need the different parts of the body. And then he says, I will lay out this most excellent way. And we enter into 1 Corinthians 13, which you probably have heard so much. I've used in probably every wedding I've ever officiated at. Um, it's, a, it's a very popular one for the weddings, even though it wasn't meant to be into a couple. It was actually written to a whole community of people. And so it's really kind of interesting that we've kind of adapted that for wedding usage. Um, because of this beautiful poetry about love. So we'll talk about um, what stands out to us first. Our questions, just as a reminder, are what stands out to you, kind of what first jumps out. And then what is our aha moment, which we'll talk about each. And then what is the good news in this passage? So I, I'll open it from there. Dad, what stands out to you in this passage as you heard it again? probably for the umpteenth time, this well-known thing. <laughs> well, a couple of things really stands out to me. First of all, as you've said, you know, uh, it's the classic wedding uh, speech that we, that we hear. You, you do, you know, I perform weddings too, and we don't That's do right. that. Kind of uh, so that, that really springs out to me. The second thing that I was thinking of was the end of the passage and talking about uh, you know, when, when you become an adult, and I remember uh, your grandfather, toward the end of his life, because he lived to be in his early, mid-90s, came back to that passage a lot and talked about it a lot to us as to his life experiences and, and the end-of-life experiences as well. So I think those two things really kind of jump out to me, and, and yet when I was studying this a little bit more carefully and seeing how we're not talking about romantic love, and we're not talking about, uh, you know, necessarily life experiences, but I think we're talking about what really is the, the crux of Christianity, uh, that, that love without limitation, without strings being attached, uh, without ignorance or arrogance is really what the key is. And, you know, that doesn't mean it doesn't have application for things like marriages. You know, your mother and I have been married almost 43 years. And I'll tell you, there are times where you have to come back to this kind of thing and say, wait a second, you have to accept someone for who they are or whom they are. And, and, and really think of love as the basic uh, way, to, way to go to, to really follow in the Christian uh, path. Yeah, I think uh, what kind of stood out to me this time, too, is that reflection on child and adult, but also um, this idea that love makes things more full and more whole. Uh, this time around, when I read it, 
and we should probably tell people you're a judge too. That's why you can also do weddings, um, which we often compare how often we get to do weddings. But um, I was really keying into that part where when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end, but this more full picture of God offering love to this community, what it means to have that be in the rough times and in the good times, making kind of more of a whole picture because our gifts come and go. And yet what is consistent is this idea of this all encompassing love that we can also try to cultivate in community and ultimately is what God offers us. And so I kept coming back to these places when I was reading and reading and reading of like, oh yeah, this, it's not just um, this rose colored picture of love. There's actually this like wholeness to it that takes a lot of work. As you said, obviously that, that pertains to marriage and to communities and to, I would say any kind of relationship that we build. Um, I have three younger brothers and, you know, it takes a lot of work for us to have adult relationships. And I feel like we've become really good friends and there's a lot of love there, but we were once children and that was a different love than as adults. And it, and it becomes fuller and more holy, more holy in general. You know, in a way, you know, it, it really encapsulates the definition of what Jesus said so many times mm. in simple ways. Um, this is a little more complex because it relates to us as human beings and the weaknesses that we have and the struggles that we have as we, as we go our own paths. And as you say, um, it's that wholeness. In order to be whole, mm. that's, that's what we need to aspire uh, yeah. to be. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, I, I look at this and I say, well, Jesus says it all the time, you know, love your neighbor as you tell, you know, all the, those kind of, and yet Paul is telling us in a real human kind of way, the pitfalls that we all experience in trying to, in a, in a sense, leave a legacy uh, yeah. of love uh, for our families and our friends and our communities. And, and we all fall short of that. Yeah. Uh, particularly, you know, when you look at times like we have now where there's so much division that we have and yet we're, we're trying to, to come back together again, we forget what love is not. Hmm. And, that. and I'm not sure, I'm not sure we're smart enough really to, to see that when Jesus tells us that, but Paul goes into a little bit more detail and it isn't just nice. And they're very nice words for a wedding. Don't get me wrong. I, I yeah. think it's very appropriate. <laughs> you know, for a wedding and, and aspirational as well, but, but there's more to it. than that. Yeah. So what stands out to you or what, I, sorry, I asked that, what, what was your aha moment then um, from what stood out to you, which they're similar questions, but they're a little bit different. Right. And, and I, I had a lot of trouble thinking about that because it's mm -hmm. difficult to think of an aha moment being married as long as I have and the relationship that I have with family and friends and yeah. my career. And one of the things that I've never really thought about with respect to this passage, and you've heard me sermonize on it, is, is uh, an incident occurring with my mother. Now, my mother was a lawyer. Uh, she, not only was she a lawyer, as you know, she was a prosecutor. Yeah. She was not real warm and fuzzy. She was hardcore, yeah. <laughs> she was pretty hardcore, and she was, you know, she was what's right is right is, and wrong is wrong, and there's nothing wrong with that other than... Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes when you wanted the support of a loving being, she maybe wasn't very good at expressing that. Um, 
when I first uh, was notified that I passed the Oregon State Bar and I was going to be a lawyer, I mean, that was a high, high point in my life. Uh, not up there with having children or having, you know, being married and, and, and those kinds of relationships, but it's really important. And so I, I uh, called my mother, who at that time was living in South Carolina, to tell her that I had just received word that I, had, I was going to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer for a long time, uh, and, and I was excited about it. And her response was, you know, your brother's not doing hard drugs anymore. Now, this is the same parent that when your mother and I announced at a family dinner that we were going to get married, my mother's next words were, pass the tartar sauce. <laughs> well, I, I didn't understand her as being warm and cuddly when she yeah. wanted to to me about my brother and didn't really mention at all that I had had this accomplishment and it bugged me for years. I dwelled upon it, I, but I didn't ever want to mention it to her because it would be an argument and by George, she should have recognized that she should apologize to me. And I festered on it for probably 20 to 25 years until one day I finally had the guts to tell her that it had upset me and her response was, I was expecting a nice apology. I dreamt of the apology, and instead she said, you selfish, and then called me a name that starts with B, questioning my uh, parental <laughs> heritage, which I thought was interesting coming from my mother. <laughs> I looked at her, and I said, I beg your pardon? She said, you know, I've always known that you would be successful, mm -hmm. but your mother, who had struggled through a lot of hard times, and I'm glad to say that he has turned out very successful in his area. He's got a fine family, and he's raised good kids, and has grandchildren, and all that kind of stuff. But, I, but she said, I've always worried about your brother, so why are you being so selfish? Hmm. When I was thinking about these passages. I thought, if love is all these things, if love starts out with the idea that we accept a person, or we accept a situation for what it is, and still can love it, it was all my fault. Hmm. It was something that I had uh, held within me for so long, and she didn't even know I was mad at her. About it. Yeah. Um, but I thought of this in, in a sense of at that moment when when I finally realized what she was telling me, that was an aha moment for a mm -hmm. lot of things. But I think it kind of relates back to this as to what I really should have been thinking about all the time and let it go and realized that even though she was not going to express her love for me, and she did later on in her life, as you know, but um, I should have been the one to understand that love is all-encompassing, that love overlooks other people's, uh, what you perceive as being a problem, and I should have should have uh, thought of that uh, all those years. Yeah. So in, that was kind of my aha moment. Yeah. Your, for me, yeah, for me, I was uh, reading different commentaries on kind of reading different translations of this passage, which is something that I tend to do if I've heard a passage or preached a passage a number of times. And one of the translation translations that I read took love and said, you know, love is the subject of 16 verbs in a row in this passage. And it happens in every phrase throughout the entire passage. And the author, David Loos, who's a Lutheran theologian, said, 
listen, you have to take love out of being static because love is supposed to be active in this case. In fact, the better translation would be like, it's not love is patient. Love shows patience. Like it's an active place here. Or like, instead of um, love is kind, love acts with kindness. So there's an action to it. And I thought, oh, there's, love is not just some passive poetry in this piece. Paul is actually telling us about an active kind of love, something that we actually have to work towards. It's not just granted, like uh, we as good Wesleyans um, in, in our theology and a lot of our theology and the Methodist theology talk a lot about um, grace that is already present, right? And so we call it provenient grace. And it's, that exists, but more than that, it's this like way that we express ourselves in an active way. And so that's a constant thing. Richard Rohr says love is a choice. We have to choose to be loving and we have to be deliberate and we have to be active in our choices. And so um, this makes that a lot more of a powerful prescription for me, which was kind of an aha moment. Like I think I've taken it as kind of a passive thing. Like, oh yeah, yeah, love, love, love. It is, it is what it is, you know, and it will be there forever. And I think what Paul is actually saying is you all have to like, figure out how to act in loving ways to each other. And if you go through the passage again and think of it in that way as an acting presence, then it makes it this really powerful thing. And that was a big aha moment for me because I think a lot of the ways that we can show our living natures, we can still do from self-isolation or from social distancing. We might have to get a little creative, but it's not it's still not passive. You know, we, we have to reach out. We have to be active in our loving ways. So that was aha for me. And maybe that leads us really well into what's the good news in this passage? Because I think that is good news that we actually have a role in what it means to love one another, that there is agape love that Paul would have been quoting, this great love given to us by God. But there's also this love that doesn't necessarily come easy and it's not such a feel good love all the time, but it is something that we can continuously practice and be deliberate about. And it exists that we can throw out into the world. Like I think we're seeing a lot of people getting really creative on how to show love to their communities and their families with like birthday parades. And um, I mean, you went to go see your grandson recently from a social distance way, but you could still, actively show love to our new little one-year-old in our family or you know there there are ways that we're getting really creative in that way or people are reaching out in really intentional ways that they maybe wouldn't have before and I think that's really good news that God is still working in the world in these deliberate ways even when it gets hard what about for you where do you see the good news well I think you touched on really the good news in a, in a true Wesleyan fashion you know, Wesley talked about the path to perfection. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is this is Paul's prescription for that path. And as you say, love, love, uh, whatever translation we're working on, whether it's romantic love or godly love or, or just the love of our communities, is a multi-dimensional aspect of our of our being. And I think this passage shows us that. While we may uh, we may have those downfalls, we may be we may display some of the some of the things that love would not be. This is kind of the roadmap, if you will, 
that Paul is, is giving us that leads on what Wesley called the path to perfection. That if we are able to truly experience this love, that that, that is the legacy we leave, and that is mm. that perfection that God wants us to be. We're not going to be there. Uh, I think we're foolish. And, and, and you know, like my, my sort of aha moment, you got to quit penalizing yourself or somebody else for it, but you need to recognize this multidimensional aspect of our beings that love is the center of and move along that path and, and be able to, to work with that as human beings. Because there's only, you know, Jesus, is, I think, the only one who would really pass all the positive parts of the test. We're going <laughs> yeah. to continue to fall. But if we can come back to this, I, I think that's the, that's the roadmap. Awesome. And that's the good news. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is good news. So I think we could probably have a prayer. I'm happy to pray and then say goodbye to our brothers and sisters in Portland. And um, I can speak for myself in saying that I'm just really glad that we could do this. And this has been really fun to have this discussion with you and um, to kind of let our our friends in on it, our community in on it. And I'm just thrilled that you all asked us to be here. Um, do you have any last comments that you want to say before I pray for us? Well, Courtney, uh, you know, I'd like to say that this is the kind of conversation we have frequently, and it is. Important <laughs> 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 things as we as we kind of go through our lives together, even when we're apart. And so, I appreciate you asking me to uh, participate in this. I've enjoyed it very much. I've enjoyed studying and thinking about it, and. Uh, you know, until next Sunday when we have our next Zoom session with the whole family, uh, be safe and, and we love you. All right, let's pray. Oh, Holy One, thank you so much for this chance to connect, even though we are miles apart and that uh, we have been delving into your word. We ask you to continue to allow us the practice of love, even when it's hard even when we're surrounded by those who we aren't alike, may we see it be a more rich community full of gifts and graces and allow us to see your love showing up anyway to make us more whole and more holy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to stop recording.